DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, and it's time to talk with David Locke. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Best of State Award winner Smart Rain has an incredible Black Friday offer running for the entire month of November. Smart Rain is giving free controllers along with a free Apple iPad to commercial properties who sign up with a paid cellular hosting subscription. Please visit SmartRain.net or call 877-346-3333. And David's weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team each and every Friday. David, good morning. Hi, David James. How are you? I'm sad the Jazz have lost three out of four. When will I be happy again? When will there be joy in the universe? Um, <clears throat> there'll be joy in the universe for a very long season process of ups and downs. Um. You know, this is they're trying to learn how to play. The league's got a book on them, uh, and now they got to figure out how to play it. And that's that's going to be a long, you know, it, are they going to fix it by game 12? Evidently the answer to that is no. Are they going to fix it by game 70? Let's hope so. Explain what that book is, please. Um, So I, I think there's it's both a better stay away from the Jazz strengths because the Jazz strengths are so good they'll crush you. And that the Jazz have some weaknesses that the Clippers particularly exposed in the playoffs. Some other people did during the season last year, but there wasn't a book on it. I mean, I think if you let's, let's just make sure we understand this league. So the Jazz were great last year, right? They're fifty-two and twenty. They played the game a little differently. They did all these great things. What you know? What did the other coaches in the league do? They, and, and we're not loaded, right? We don't have LeBron. We don't have Kawhi. We don't have Anthony Davis. We don't have one of those guys. So we're you're, if you're an opposing coach. You're looking at what we have, and you're, it's somewhat replicable to um, to what's taking place. And so you think to yourself, like, all right, let's go study this. And I think I think the coaches around the league have all spent time studying the Jazz. And then, even moreover, the last two teams we played that we lost to were teams who either the head coach was the former head coach of the Dallas Mavericks who were up 2-0 on the Clippers and thought they were playing us in the playoffs, or the assistant coach of the Dallas Mavericks, who were up 2-0 on the Clippers, right? Jamal Mosley was with the Mavericks, now the head coach of Orlando. So those teams had dug in. And Rick Carlisle rolled out his playoff game plan last night. And the playoff game plan is you better not get in a pick-and-roll game with the Jazz on either side of the floor. Because if Rudy Gobert can defend the pick-and-roll, you can't score in the half court. So they rushed it up the floor. They pulled Rudy out of the middle for a good deal. They did play some pick and roll with Sabonis and Brogdon, and they crushed us pretty good on it. But for the most part, the key stretches of the game were when Turner spread the floor five wide. Brogdon just put 60-pound lighter Mike Conley on his hip, bogarted him to the basket and scored. And then when the Jazz brought help, kicked out to Miles Turner, who hit three threes. That's, that's the offensive sequence that changed the game. And so – there's a game, you know, the game's really simple for every. What can we do to negate Rudy's defensive impact by moving him around and then attacking where he's not? And if you play pick and roll against us, Rudy's involved and he's the greatest defensive player in the world. I and mean, that's literally what Rick Carlisle said about him before the game is, you know, we're dealing with one of the great defensive players in the history of the game. And then on the other end of the floor, what did we do offensively last year? Well, we ran, we hit, took over 50% of our shots in threes in transition, we hit 43% of those shots. We were brilliant offensively early, and then we got you in the pick-and-roll and had the best pick-and-roll combinations in the league. So what do you do? Well, last night the answer was we crashed the glass with tenacity, forced the Jazz to rebound. 
Moreover, back to Rudy being pulled out defensively. Once they didn't have an offensive rebounding thrust against us until Sabonis went out of the game in the first quarter. And then once Sabonis went out of the game, they spread the floor a little bit more. Then they Rudy's pulled out. He's not. He's got to make a you know real effort to come back and get a ball. So not very good rebounders otherwise, and they crushed us. And then the part two of that is if you switch everything defensively then you can't play pick and roll and then we can't play pick and roll. And then you're hugging our shooters and we're not moving the ball. And we're not pinging it around. So, I mean, I've heard a lot of people say, wow, we just don't look the same. And we don't, that's hundred percent true. And, and it doesn't seem right. Something's off, but a lot of what's off is what opponents are doing to us, that they're hugging the shooters. They're switching much more than they used to. They're not allowing the ball to move because when you switch, there just aren't passes to be made, and our passes are, are way down. We're 250 passes a game from 280 from 300 a few years ago. So what is the and answer? By the way, and by the way, we're the number two offense in the NBA. I mean, like, it's kind of this mix and match, but I agree with everyone. I just don't – we don't look right. So number two in the NBA offensively and top five in rebounding percentage. So is it as simple as – Indiana got more rebounds, they got more possessions, they got more shots, and that's why they won the game. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And they made, they made you know, there's a – Miles Turner goes three of three from three, and some of our guys didn't go – you know, didn't hit those same shots. Um, 100%. That's last night's game. The rebounding percentage, I don't like that stat because offensive rebounds and defensive rebounds are two different things. We're living offensively right now based on the fact that going into last night, we were the number one offensive rebounding percentage in the league, and we we're the number two free throw team in the league. So, you know, we aren't making shots. We're 24th in the league in three-point shooting, and we're shooting the most threes. But we're grabbing offensive rebounds, particularly when Whiteside's on the floor, and, uh, and getting an extra possession. I think we're averaging 1.4 points per possession off an offensive rebound right now. That's how, that's how we're surviving. But that's... For a lot of teams, that you can take that away. You can just commit. Like, okay, we're not letting them get offensive rebounds. And we're getting a lot of those fouls off offensive rebounds. So it's a little bit – I'm a little nervous that I'm not sure the offensive rebounding rate and winning games by offensive rebounding is a sustainable model. Impacting games by offensive rebounding and getting an edge offensive rebounding, which we did last year, is a sustainable model. But we're winning games based on offensive rebounding, and I'm not sure that that's sustainable. Okay, then what would be sustainable potentially of, with your your situation, your concern of the offensive rebounding is the shots go in the basket in the first right. place so you don't have right. to worry about the offensive rebound. Right. I mean, really what I'm – yeah, 100%, TK. What I'm really saying is winning while shooting 33% from three for the whole year is not a script that we actually can do. Right. Like that's – like, and if Jordan Clarkson does this for the entire year, it's really a big problem. Like, yes. let's be – you know, it's been going on for 14 – 12 games. Like, let's just be really honest about it. If your second highest volume guy becomes deficient players in the NBA, it's a really, really big problem. Yeah. And I think he'll get out of it. He'll be fine. But the fact that they're eight and four while Jordan Clarkson has just, you know, had a stretch that is, and he, you know, here, here's the other problem. And, and we have to just be, let's be really honest about our roster. Our roster is built predominantly with offensive players who are terrific and great shooters. For most of them, when they're not, if they're not shooting well, they don't bring a ton other things to the table, right? Like if Boyan's not making yeah. his shots, he's not really clamping down defensively. That's not really his game. So it's pretty remarkable that a team built on shooters is eight and four 
Well, now eight and five, I guess. No, eight, eight, and, eight and four. They're in four. Eight and four. I gave them an extra loss. It just felt like two less. <laughs> um, you know, is eight and four when you're ha- when you're shooting twenty. You know, when you what you're predicated on is not performing well. I don't like. Let me ask you guys: Should we have solved the the Clippers spread us out, drove down our throats, moved Rudy out of the middle, negated his defensive impact? And on the offensive end, <clears throat> for us on the offensive end, they switched one through five, stagnated our offense. Should we have solved all of those problems by the 12th game of the season? Yes. Got uh, you're not going to solve all of the problems, and the problem on any given night, you know, they might move you around, but does the other team shoot the three that well? And then I think on any given night, and you'd be better at this in the playoffs, is there one weak link that if you're going to concede an open three, you know, this guy on this portion of the floor isn't a good shooter, so know that, and if he's over there, let him, you know, let him, let him shoot. So I thought what happened last night was that Indiana played with, was not, does not play a lot of fast-break basketball. In fact, they play the most half-court possessions of anyone in the league. Played with a really, really good early thrust and got down the floor and were kind of attacking early, maybe not purely fast-break points or transition. Fast-break points are stupid that doesn't tell the story. But they were playing early enough that the Jazz were not able to get set defensively to have those effects. They had game plans of what they wanted to do to try to keep Rudy in the middle. Those work if you're able to get set, everyone's in the right position. But it felt like there were a lot of possessions last night where the Jazz were defensively scrambling from the, from the onset and so therefore never able to get back. It also was probably because they were complaining to the officials incessantly last night. I do think, by the way, I think it's worth commenting. I'm not trying to make an excuse, and I do think what happened last night is the same thing that happened to Orlando and Miami. I think there's a script. I think this is what happens when you have the best record in the league. Um, I do think that they, the, the events that are going on in our community impacted the players last night. There's just no possible way. I was in the room last night, yesterday with Donovan and Joe when they had their pressers. When Donovan left his press conference, he walked out with just the biggest emotionally spent sigh, reached up high up onto the door, the top of the door well, kind of stretching with that, just just exhausted, like, wow, that was heavy. He came out and played brilliantly. Joe, I texted with afterwards, just saying, you were amazing, and he you know, just was like, that was so hard. He was so raw and so real. And it's not as though those are the only two affected. You know, if, I can't relate to this, but if you're a black man and a 10-year-old child commits suicide in your community, and is black because of being bullied, and that seems to have been maybe part of the reason, as well as their special needs, it's going to impact you. I don't feel that. I don't have that experience, but I'm certain that everyone feels that in a way that I just can't relate. So, and they're, you know, Joe and Donovan, if you just kind of look at the, the way the day works, you know, there was clearly a discussion. Do you want to do this? Do you want to go out? Do you want to leave the charge publicly? Do you want to use your platform? There's just so much around all of that that, has to be done and orchestrated and Joe spends an hour on the phone with the mom. Like it's fine that we're sitting here analyzing basketball today, but I think we have to be honest. If you watched them play last night, they were distracted. They were emotionally grumpy. They were in a bad mood. They laughed some juice. Like these things impact them. They're human beings. They're real. And you know, for most of them that has to hit at a core 
that I don't get. Like, I don't have an autistic kid. So, I mean, I'm a parent, and watch, listening to Joe in the presser last night, yesterday, if you weren't about to cry, you didn't have a heart. And if you Thurl Bailey last night with his incredible ability, while clearly on the verge of breaking emotionally, to give that moment of silence, like, if that, that those are impacting humans, and I don't want them actually to play great with all that going on, because I'd far rather have Joe Ingles and Donovan Mitchell take the platform they took yesterday and be as admirable as they are. And so I, I think there is a big-picture basketball thing that yesterday was representative of, but I also think they were just really not right last night. The same way they weren't right in Orlando, and you can just – there's certain nights where you look at it and you're like, okay, like Orlando was clear with seven games, seven cities, 12 days. You kind of knew it was coming, and Orlando played great, and they had a game plan. Last night's clear. Like, Indiana played great. They were coming off a loss. They played great. They were terrific. They initiated. They owned space all night. We didn't own our space. We got physically punked. They came out to do it. But we were clearly off our game, right? We just, I mean, I've never, we were complaining so much last night. We were just so bothered by our existence last night. And I just, it has to play. It just can't. And I don't mind that. Like, I think that's fine. Great. Like, be human and be a leader in our community. Because Joe Ingalls and Donovan Mitchell yesterday were overwhelming overwhelmingly impressive people. Yes. So I think that's why we talk about these trends across the season instead of any one game. Jerry Sloan said a long time ago, you never know what's going on in somebody's life. Now, yesterday we know because there's a press conference. But back to your point about 12 games and trends and people having schemes that were drawn up since the playoffs, this is going to keep being a thing over the course of the year. And I think one thing you said about the, um, you know, the Jazz had the defensive plan, but they were caught in a scramble. One thing the Jazz have cut back on, but when they're trying to work the refs for calls, I think the complaining after a no call is pretty obvious. But when guys drive the hoop and pick up the landing gear so they tumble to the ground trying to draw the foul, it sets off a five-on-four, and I don't know if you've got any big-picture numbers, not any one game, but any big-picture numbers on that, because there was a sequence where it happened, and they did get a five-on-four, and the Pacers hit a three off of it, and I've seen that in other games. You have big-picture numbers on how big a problem that is? We're 28th in the league in transition defense, so um, you know, let's, let's go with it. Even if we're not complaining, we're not great at transition defense, so when we suddenly complain, I'm certain we're a 30th in the league. That's my big picture. <laughs> well, those numbers, those numbers make sense. Like, I don't, like, I don't. And David's breaking up. We lost you there, David. I don't know what you said. Uh, I said it was, you know, last night was particularly bad complaining to the officials. It's not usually something I have in my play-by-play call. I always kind of feel like you give – the player a pass every now and then on that. But last night it was so incessant. It actually almost be, it be, didn't almost, it, it became a part of my call. It was literally like Boyan drives to the basket, misses, is complaining to the officials, transition for Indiana. Rudy Gobert wanted a call, didn't get it, complaining to the officials, Indiana in transition the other way. Like it was, it was truly a part of what was taking place in the game last night. All right, David, we'll hear you Saturday. Early start. Why, why is it early? Do you know? Three o'clock. I don't know. Last year we played Indiana in two day games and beat them both times, so we should have played early yesterday. Okay. All right. Well, thanks a lot. We appreciate it. We'll hear you tomorrow. Tip off at three o'clock. Pregame at two o'clock. Jazz game night will be Jazz game after. We we tip off at three. I keep saying it's three thirty. I'm glad I better show up by three, huh? Yeah. Okay. 
Two above at three, pregame at two, right here on the Zone Sports Network. Thank you, David. Coming up, Greg Hansen, sports columnist for the Arizona Daily Star. The Utes going to play the Wildcats. Greg, what is the path to, if not victory, at least an interesting game? We'll talk with Greg Hansen, longtime columnist for the Arizona Daily Star, next. The new zone lineup is here. Give it up, give it up. With the best coverage of the sports you love and the teams you can't live without. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 to 10. Followed by Jake Scott and Ben Anderson from 10 to noon. Get your daily fix of Hanson Scotty from noon to 3. And then the zone welcomes Unrivaled with Alex Curie and former NFL quarterback Scott Mitchell to the team. Weekdays from 3 to 6. Live and local. All day, every day. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. Football Fridays are presented by Stonehaven Dental. At Stonehaven Dental, they say yes. Yes to free exams and x-rays for new patients and flexible appointments. Say yes to great dental care. Visit stonehavendental.com to schedule an appointment. Darn tootin'. You know, one thing I noticed. What have you noticed? That... If you take Oklahoma out of the Big 12 right now and put in the teams that would be in the Big 12, mm-hmm. they would have more teams ranked in the college football top poll, okay. playoff poll, yeah. than they have BYU's right having a good year. Houston's got a better record than BYU, and Cincinnati's got a better record than both of them. But I don't think Houston isn't ranked. They are not. But they are a one-loss team. The teams that are coming in are playing really well right now. Central Florida is the quote-unquote weak link, and they're 6-3. and three. So how could you possibly think this wouldn't be uh, an AQ? Makes no sense to me. DJ and PK, it's time to bring in Greg Hansen, sports columnist for the Arizona Daily Star. And he joins us right now on the Smart Rain guest line. Best of State Award winner Smart Rain has an incredible Black Friday offer running for the entire month of November. Smart Rain is giving free controllers along with a free Apple iPad to commercial properties who sign up with a paid cellular hosting subscription. Please visit SmartRain.net or call 877-346-3333. Greg, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. How are you? Doing great. How's uh, the autumn weather up there? Uh, kind of cold and blustery and overcast, and you're down there <laughs> in 86 degrees, and tea times are probably hard to come by. 86 is too warm. This time of year. Yeah, but the good, the good news is, Greg, is my flight to cover the game leaves at 4 or 5 today. Oh, all right, all right. <laughs> Winner! At least you'll be in the press box during the game tomorrow. I will be, yes, yes. And then uh, heading back up to Phoenix where the family lives and planning on uh, right. hitting the course on Saturday, on Sunday. Wow, what a great weekend. Yep, exactly. <laughs> he does think that. He's been talking about it in commercial breaks. He's looking forward to it. I don't think we've seen the sun since, like, last uh, Sunday or, Mon- or Saturday. Uh, it's been pretty cloudy here. Had a little rain. All that stuff. All right, so I am curious now, uh, Greg. I grew up in San Diego once, and I was home uh, visiting, driving around in the uh, the car, listening to the local sports talk radio. It's years ago, back when the Chargers still played there. They were in a run where they weren't very good at all, and I mm-hmm. and I was thinking, hey, if they get to eight and eight, they'll be pretty good. And they start talking about it, and, and one of the hosts gets all wound up and starts talking about winning the Super Bowl. In a year where I oh. thought eight wins would have been pretty good, and nine or ten was really more than you dare hope for. To talk about the Super Bowl was just ridiculous, and I thought the dude was wasting my time. Mental yeah. note, 
Don't waste people's time with just way too much sunshine that isn't even remotely possible. So I don't want to put too much sunshine in this game, but aside from three or four turnovers keeping this close for a while, is there any reason to talk about why this might be a close game other than a boatload of fumbles will always make a game close? Yeah, I would say, you know, now ESPN always shows the probability of wins or losses. This is... This could be the first one ever I've seen at 100. (laughs) 99.8 at least. Is there anything that Arizona's offense can do? Anything. I mean, Barry Hill's a decent uh, receiver. I thought Plummer shows a little bit. I know he's banged up, and and he didn't win the job, so obviously he wasn't their first choice. But anything that they can do to have any kind of success? I I would say no, just just being straight up and – you know, Will Plummer might not even play. Right. Uh, they might they might play a walk on who's, who's taken one snap um, and mix in a receiver, Jamar Joyner, to run Wildcat stuff. But uh, <laughs> you know, Cal was so bad last week. I mean, what were they missing? Forty guys. Yeah. And and Arizona struggled to be to score ten, um, and they got the, their only touchdown in the last couple minutes. So. I mean, I watched the Utah game at Stanford, and I just kept going, wow. I I mean, that was so impressive. Stanford? I know Stanford's not like they were five years ago, but still. That was just so – it was intimidating if you're an Arizona coach. That was so impressive. All right. Well, thanks, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe senior day or something, get some emotion there, because don't they finish with two games on the road? Oh, yeah, they got to go to Washington State for a night game and then play at Arizona State. And um, But they've got some hope um, because they hired a – which you wouldn't expect, they have one of the better coaching staffs in the conference. Um, that's the one thing Jed Fish, he was so well-connected, and he's such a good – Speaker, he was able to talk these guys into coming here. You know, the entire defensive staff are former NFL coaches, and their defense is okay. Their defense is in the middle of the league and, and not even maybe even fifth or fourth in the league. And they've got the same players they've had on defense. So, you know, they've got a – I think Morgan Scully is probably the best defensive coordinator in the league, obviously, but Arizona's guy, Don Brown, has got to be right there with him. Greg Hansen, sports columnist for the Arizona Daily Star, join us. So are there freshmen who are like in two years, everybody's going to know their name? Okay, they have so many freshmen now. And, and during the game, I keep having to check the roster. You know how you used to know the name of every player on the team and, and know their numbers? I don't know these guys. And I've gone to every game and watched every game. And there's just so many new faces. And it's a total changeover. And, and you know... Check back in three years. Strength of the defense linebackers? It's actually turned out to be their defensive line. They've got big enough guys now for the first time on the defensive line to play in the Pac-12. And they are, they've been productive. And um, they blitz, they mix in eight guys. I know a couple of them are injured now, but they're, they're useful guys. Um, they're, they're not what Utah has. But uh, they're okay. And, and that's a progress. I'm curious, as you uh, look around the conference, you have covered it for a long time. We were discussing this earlier in the week about 
the number we've already seen a couple coaches change. There could be a couple more coaching changes. Uh, the youth have run into multiple backup quarterbacks. This will be yeah. fourth time in the conference season they faced a guy who wasn't the starter when everything got going so has there been a time where things have seen this unsure this far down this bad you know i think in the mid 80s and the mid 90s the league was as bad as it is now um and ironically those were the years arizona was always one game away from the rose bowl but now they're not on that level but I think it was just as bad in the mid '80s. USC and UCL. I mean, USC was was really down in the mid '80s, and again in the mid '90s. And I, I think it's back to that level now. Um, I mean, one team is ranked. It's hard to believe Utah is not ranked, but it looks like they will be the next couple of weeks. But yeah, I, I don't think this is the worst the league's been. Uh, I remember, you know, USC was beatable all through the '80s and '90s. Yeah, and they are again, and that's the big, ch- and that's the big chance for everybody. So you already talked about the weather; it's supposed to be pretty hot for this time of year, and it's a day game. I'm wondering how has the community responded? They know they're not in for uh, a win, likely if they're going to the stadium, but nevertheless, fish much more of a breath breath of fresh air than Sumlin. So how has the community responded to them? Well, last week there were probably 12,000 people in the stadium. They announced the attendance at 30,000. And the overall season average is inflated. They've had at least ten to 15,000 no-shows per game. I think they're selling 30,000 tickets per game, but it's about – between 15 and 20,000 actual in-house and the student section just disappeared after the opening game. And I think last week, the student section, they called the zone of zoo. I'm not exaggerating. There couldn't have been 1500. So it's not exactly the must. <laughs> so is, uh, is coach staying upbeat during all of this and uh, doing the rah, rah thing and out recruiting and still trying to whip people into a frenzy? Cause that was how he descended upon Tucson. Boy, he, he's got – if he went into another line of work, he could be Tony Robbins, a motivational speaker guy. Yeah, He's just always on. And I've never seen him drop back from that. Even when they got beat really bad by a few teams, he was always energetic and, and moving forward. And I, I'm sure he realizes that's the only way it can be done. And over the years, you've seen Pac-12. I mean, Washington went 0 12 about 18 years ago, um, and got back. And uh, heck, I used to live in Oregon. I covered Oregon State and Oregon when they were the two two worst teams in college football, um, and played in a zero zero tie in the Civil War one year. <laughs> and they got, you know, they they got back. So I'd say Arizona should be okay if they stick with. If Fish can keep his assistant coaches, I think they'll be fine because they've got a recruiting class that doesn't reflect their status. They're they're about fourth or fifth in the Pac-12 right now in in recruiting rankings. So if they can get a quarterback at some point, you know, they'll be a tough out. But, you know, what what do you think it'll take, three or four years? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is the quarterback of the next two to three years, is it currently on the roster? currently on the roster now? No. They, they recruited, surprisingly, a, a guy from Anaheim Servite named Noah Fafita, 
And I've seen video of him a few times, and, and he's the guy, when you look at the film, say, wow, he can make plays. He, he might be a guy who takes you to six and six when he's a junior or even a sophomore. So maybe they got that part taken care of, at least right now, stage one. And um, <clears throat> the way they've developed their defensive players, it, it makes you think that they'll be okay. And, their mo- you know, yesterday Jeff Fish said his model – uh, in the league is Utah. Yeah, he did. Um, I saw that. Not, not, well, I don't know who else you'd say. Well, Oregon, I guess. But I believe that, too, maybe because I grew up in Utah and I followed Kyle Whittingham all the time and realized from the beginning what he did there is pretty special. And I no longer think Ike Armstrong was the best coach in Utah history. So since you lived in Utah and since you uh, worked in Oregon, you got an opinion on how the Utah-Oregon game is going to go? Is it in Salt Lake? It is, yeah. I'll take Utah. Is it a night game? Uh, it's we not likely. They, it's the six-day window, but oh, yeah. I don't think the windows for the 7.30 or 8.30 start are available. I think it's either going to be afternoon or late afternoon. I think... The last month, Utah's been a top-10 team. Yeah, I agree. Um, as good as anybody, but maybe the first four. And um, they're just so tough. It's so impressive to me to watch them. Yeah, they really are when you look at it. And and it's year after year. I think uh, Lev, the guy who uh, covers uh, mm-hmm. football for you guys, had, had a tweet, something about they've the Utes have had – uh, what six out of the last seven seasons have had nine wins or more, and the cats, oh. the cats since joining the conference in '78, have only done it four times. I, mean, I don't think UCLA can going back 50 years. Even UCLA can't match those numbers. And yet, Greg, we get people saying Kyle should be fired because he hasn't won the conference. Yeah, I know. Uh, that's the thing, though. That was a big thing here. Arizona was so close for about 15 years, and they finally fired Dick Comey and right. found out it was a huge mistake. Right. The program hasn't been the same since. Yeah. I mean, Rich Rod was okay, but off the field, he was a disaster. Yeah, he wasn't the guy you want your kid to be around. Right. Right. And that was it. Maybe yeah. Fish is the guy. I mean, it's clear they've got to get it right, and they haven't gotten it right. And if they get it right, uh, I think they can be back at least in the – Tommy Larry Smith ballpark yeah. of being competitive. Yeah, just a tough out. That's what Fish has said for, from the beginning is we're going to be a tough out. And right. um, that's about all you can ask at a mid-level school like this in football. Yeah, exactly. Iowa State. They need to be Iowa State. Whose quarterback is from Arizona, but that's another story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> PK's been telling us a million times that uh, the best high school players in Arizona will not stay in Arizona because they're tired of 116 degrees mm-hmm. and trying to run and lift and practice and, and just live in that day after day. Do you figure Arizona kids are always going to live Arizona, leave Arizona as long as the weather is like that, which is the rest of our <clears throat> lives? It hasn't, you know, it wasn't that way until about five or six years ago. Um, some of it to me has to do with Arizona State just doesn't have a community feel to it Um, you know because of all the pro sports in Phoenix I don't think ASU is really a hometown team that much so it's easy for them to leave Um, and maybe Arizona can can give them a little neighborhood touch that they they don't feel in Phoenix 
But and, and the way they're recruiting now, you, you would think they'll get some of those guys. Um, that's how Larry Smith and Dick told me they had they were full of Phoenix guys. And I know that's going way far back, but that's how they won. They had Phoenix guys. Well, Greg, we appreciate a few minutes of realism, so this is going to be lopsided and there's nothing anyone's going to do about it, and uh, the blot commences at noon. There you go. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll hope to see you in a press box. <laughs> All right, there it is. Greg Hansen, sports columnist for the Arizona Daily Star, who seems like he's lived in about uh, half of the towns in the, in the league, or states of the league anyway. I was a Utah State kid. I grew up in Logan. Uh, and I didn't know I didn't know about the Oregon situation. But if he would, and he's older, I think he's around seventy years of age. If uh, he would have been covering Oregon, Oregon State earlier, because he's been in Tucson, I think since I was when I was in Casa Grande in the mid eighties, he was there. So he's been there for a good long while, which means if you do the math on Oregon, Oregon State, he has seen some crappy football. <laughs> <laughs> they were horrific. Right. They they right. were. Arizona and Colorado, and then tug it down a few notches. Because they didn't have the one year where Colorado won the 10 games, won the division. They didn't have that. They just finished 7th and 8th, and in a big year, one of them made them to 6th. And that 0-0 tie is literally nicknamed the Toilet Bowl. That should explain everything. Yeah, so he's... But at the same time, he's also he was also there, and if you go back and look, Larry Smith had it going on uh, for a bit. I think he coached there 6 years, and then he took the SC job. And Tommy, it's funny, and Tommy, uh, we had him on our show because he did some broadcasting. He died uh, two years ago at age 80, I believe. I also think uh, Ron McBride and Mark Harlan spoke at his funeral down in Tucson. And in death, his legend is growing by the week when you look at what he did. And he ran him out of town. He got sick of it. Uh, This is so mind-boggling as you look back. And then they haven't. Rich Rod did get them. They were at least competitive, but he was a wacko, and uh, ends up. You know, we know what happened there. Uh, but I, I, I do think, and I agree with Greg, that they can get to be a tough out relatively quickly. I, I believe that. I mean, that doesn't mean you're going to win a whole lot of games. But you can, but you can get back to six and six, and you can get and back to playing close games and pulling yeah. an upset. And, and scaring somebody else. Yeah. And that would be a big step forward Not like where we're they've been. going into this game where he's talking about that, whatever they call it, the index of 99.9. Right. Yeah. And they call it a football power index. I don't know how they compute that the stuff. I see that. Is that what yeah. it is? I don't football, see. Football power index. I don't, okay. see, I don't know how they compute that stuff. It didn't make any sense to me. But What I saw this morning, I think Utah is like 89% favor some such in yeah. this game. I would think that would be low. low. I would agree. Because I, when I hear yeah. that, and this may not be what it means, but when I hear that, I think, so if they played 10 times, Utah would win nine. No, and I'm like... Not this year. If, right, these two teams. Exactly. I don't think Arizona would win one out of 10 with these guys. And if they do, they got to have five turnovers. I mean, they've got to. they got to block a punt and have five turnovers. 
I don't know how else. I don't know what other path there is. And he talks about Arizona's defense being better, and it, he is right. They are fourth in total defense, but against the run, and you know Kyle is going to have them running the ball two plays out of three or three plays out of four and stretches in this game. Okay. Arizona's ninth in the league, 174 yards a game. I mean, is Tavion Thomas going to run for 150 in this game, higher or lower? Scotty, no. Scotty and Hands always play that. No. You're saying no because he's going to be out of the game right. before he gets to 150, and they literally had that discussion Thursday about don't take the overs in this because the stats aren't going to be that good because it's going to be a blowout. He's going to be playing second and third string guys. And I actually underrated Utah's FPI. 92.5%. Yeah. Getting warmer, but not there yet. So seven and it'll be warmer in Tucson, too. Yeah, it right. will be warmer in Tucson. <clears throat> it's going to, be in the, uh, going to be in the 80s there. And for those of you who don't believe Greg, who's been following the league for a long time on that thing about Utah and UCLA, he's, he's exactly right. The Utes are about to have their... This is the sixth time in seven years, right? They're going to have thrown out the five-game season. You can't yeah, win yeah, nine yeah. times yeah, in a five-game we, we season. Don't, we don't count that one. Right. So this will be six out of seven. And he said, UCLA, I'm paraphrasing, but you got to go back decades. And UCLA had the three uh, nine or ten win seasons uh, under Donahue? under uh, Mora. I was going back, starting present day and working back. And you go to the previous decade which was Carl Durrell, Rick Neuheisel, and they had one. It was a 10-2 and two season under Durrell. You go back to Bob Toledo, if you remember him. He had, back, remember, yeah. he had back-to-back 10-win seasons. That's six, ten, six nine, or 10-win seasons in 30 years. That's it. Now, if you get back into Donahue, he had a, he had a great run. He did. He did. He had it going on. And yeah. he had Rose Bowls, and then after back-to-back Roses, he missed the Rose, he went Fiesta, and then they went back to the Rose, yeah, and yeah. he had a Cotton in there, and they went bowling eight years in a row. He had a bunch of 9- and 10-win seasons. That's uh, Those are the glory days for UCLA. He was there 76-95. to 95. Oh, yeah, he was there my but entire the last, time in L.A. Yeah, the last 30 years, right. they've had six 9- or 9-win seasons or better. Yeah, I really think that you should think about making a coaching change. <laughs> You do not. <laughs> it's just you don't know what you have. Yeah, and they have not had a, UCLA has not had an eleven win season. Now, if you go back far enough, they stopped playing twelve regular season games. Right. Um, but they've not had an eleven win season. I'm I'm going back here. I don't see it. Yeah, you go back because I'm going to go to the bathroom. You do that, <laughs> DJ PK. It's ninety seven five at twelve eighty the zone. It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. Utah State returns to Mountain West Conference play with a big trip to the Bay Area for a showdown against the Spartans of San Jose State. Catch all the play-by-play action this Saturday, beginning with the Aggie pregame show on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. This week's Raiders game, and it's Raiders and Chiefs Sunday night primetime, is brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of the official Raiders debit card. All of the same great features and benefits now with silver and black. Learn more at AmericaFirst.com slash Raiders. Ah, memory lane, PK. What? I just got back from the toilet. Thank you for the update, PK. (laughs) What is memory lane? Greg Hansen brought up the Civil War. Oregon, Oregon State, and how bad they were. 
and how down the league was and how the league bounced back and Oregon and Oregon State have gotten much better. Did the league bounce back or did SC bounce back and Phil Knight gave Oregon a ton of money? Well, those are two factors. Devin tweets at us, ah, yes, the 0-0 game. I was at the toilet bowl. It was 20 degrees and freaking miserable. Oregon, Oregon State, 0-0 in 1983. Worst game you've ever seen. Forget the best games we've seen. The worst games that we've ever seen. 3 nothing, 2003 in Provo, Utah. It was cold. It was really cold. It was really cold. Not where I was. Field was all iced okay, up. Congrats to you sitting in the press box. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> nice and comfy. For the rest of us. Uh, Brutally cold. Yeah, there's something that he said that I want to share when uh, we get to the top of the hour. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's too many to remember worse games. You've seen some bad ones over the years. Oh, for sure. Yeah, they just there's there are just so many. I mean, I, there's so many that I I can't remember. Whereas the the games that the the incredible finishes they're the ones that stand out. So it's the other way for me. It's it I can't remember this game or that game because some of them just. You know, there's no rhythm, there's no flow, it gets boring. Uh, those things happen. Or the the competition is so weak that it's not... It's any, a blood and it, it's out of hand. Yeah, and so it's like, okay, like Alabama, New Mexico State. I mean, what... what, what what's the, the point? Yeah, what, what, especially when you played Mercer in your second game of the season. You need New Mexico State and Mercer? Right. And you, Saban you, gets up there and says, we ought to be playing Power Five. And Could you just play good group of five teams? Yeah, I wouldn't mind watching Alabama Cincinnati or Alabama Houston or Alabama Boise State or whoever else. Right, and then he he chastens the crowd for leaving. Well, what are you going to say and sit and watch that garbage for? <laughs> no reason whatsoever. You know what I mean? It's just I do. It's it's boring, and you have those those things like that. You don't necessarily have that in the NFL that much, uh, but you do at the collegiate level because there's going to be such a drastic nature from one program to the next. Where in the NFL, it's the, the, the playing field is much le- much more level anyway. Uh, so, I so many games that have just been big time snoozers. Uh, but then you get games where you, the the best. I think the best is when you potentially expect something and it doesn't happen. The opposite happens. Like I fully expected. Going to Minnesota, Madison, Wisconsin, three years ago, four years ago, whenever it was, that the Cougars were going to get crushed. I, I just thought, I told Scotty, this is a waste of time to send me here, a waste of money. Nah, I think you should go. And gosh, man, he called it. He's like freaking savant. I don't know how he put figured that <laughs> one out. But and it you was, also took a Pulitzer award-winning type photo as well. I did there with uh, the tight ends coach. Running on the beach into the waiting arms oh, the, of Jeff Grimes. <laughs> <laughs> the reasons, well, I mean, among the many reasons that I thought you were right and Scotty was taking a heck of a flyer was that Wisconsin had just rolled in Provo the year before. Yeah. I mean, they oh, what, they that wasn't win. competitive. They rolled. Yeah. 40 to 6. I mean, they just crushed them. Right. Right. And now you're going to go to Madison? Yeah, because we uh, well, we get always get in the spring games we're going to go. I thought the reason mm-hmm. Scotty was right to send you was that when you go on the road, you get to have conversations off to the side, 
And you don't take that lightly. You talk to people. And it doesn't mean you get a gem every time, but you do get gems. They sometimes... Well, they just get comfortable with you. Tell you how it really is. And for whatever reason, I think I must have an honest face because I've got so many people over the years have told me so much stuff and they know that they're never going to get given up. Uh, And I I did in that game too. It's awesome when you come in and you say something negative about the Utes or the Cougars or... uh, it's usually Utes and Cougars because so much of the emotion is rivalry-driven. It could be jazz, but it's usually Utes and Cougars. And people go nuts about you saying it, and then it's like, well, man, if you knew who told them that. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's like when the head coach and the assistant coaches are sitting around the table. This is what they think. These are the problems they're trying to figure out how to fix because they think if they don't fix them, they're going to get beat again. Uh-huh. For sure. And yeah. then you say, well, this is a problem. And they're like, oh, you hate them. You're like, this is literally the problem they're trying to solve. No problem tomorrow, man. I'm going to have my feet up. As the Utes score touchdown after touchdown. Well, they scored a touchdown their first drive in like five games in a row, something like that? And so will Kyle take the ball if he wins the, the oh, coin toss again? Absolutely, yes. Show Why the faith in the offense, yeah. go down there. and If you're going to do it against Stanford, clearly you're going to do it against U of A. Be interested to see how much they throw the ball and how much they try to get that portion of the game real confident. Because Oregon is pretty good defending the run, but they have had problems defending the pass. Statistically, balance. Got to have balance. Got to have balance. Mut- I <laughs> think you got to be a little better throwing the ball if you're going to beat Oregon. We'll see. If you try to run the ball through Oregon, I mean, you can run it at times, but. Run away from number five, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. <laughs> And if you're going to throw, you might want to roll away from him, too. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. All right, so Greg Hansen hit on something. You want to uh, you want to underline this. Yeah, very much so. All right, we'll get to that next. Stay with us.